Welcome to Pablo Held Investigates. In today's episode, I talk to singer, violinist and composer Caroline Shaw. When I asked my friend Percy Persglove what he had been listening to lately, he told me about the piece Partita for Eight Voices by Caroline Shaw. He said he had listened to the piece while driving in his car, but eventually he not only had to stop the car, but also stop the music because he was so blown away by what he heard. By the way, I'm always looking for recommendations of this kind, when friends, colleagues or heroes of mine recommend something that they're obsessing about. So on my way home I started listening to the piece and I was blown away as well. I couldn't stop listening, had it running on repeat for a long time, like I usually do when discovering a new piece. I immediately started checking out other works by Caroline that were equally fresh and inspiring and also found lots of interviews that were really insightful. I'm so happy my friend Percy recommended listening to her work and I'm excited to share my interview with Caroline Shaw with all of you now. We talk about a lot of things ranging from composition, inspirations, notation, working methods of the incredible vocal ensemble Roomful of Teeth and much more. Enjoy. I've been looking forward to this for a long time. I discovered your music through a friend of mine because I asked him like, what's the greatest thing you've heard in a while? And he told me to check out Partita for Eight Voices. And I started listening to the, to the song. I was blown away, couldn't believe it. And then I listened to it another time, another time. And yeah, and I, I love it. Thank and then you I, for listening. Sure, sure. I'm, I'm curious about a lot of things, but maybe we can start with what you're working on at the moment. I'm, I'm interested in what, what you're checking out and also what you're dealing with, you know, writing or playing, you know, what you're sure. dealing with now. Um, today I'm, I'm multitasking. I'm, I usually try to work on just one thing at a time, but I'm, I've got a few different things going. One is a kind of large oratorio-ish kind of piece for a Baroque orchestra based in San Francisco. Mm -hmm. And two amazing soloists whose voices I love deeply and acquire. And a lot of the work actually for that piece is finding and creating and combining texts so that it feels musical, but also coherent. And mm -hmm. that is all I'll say about that piece. The other okay. is uh, something totally different, collaborating with a choreographer named Pam Tanowitz. And she's used my music before, but I wanted to do a project where she really designs the music, and then I kind of create something based on her design. So she's been sending me uh, paper drawings with notes and just different sort of musical ideas that are really tied to choreography. And so, um, sorry for interrupting, but how, how sure. musical is the information that she's giving you? Some of it is just drawings and designs and ideas of unison and line and where things will go, which is very choreographic. And other times she has said like voices, like just humming, or that the voices do something that is rhythmic and then it goes into something kind of more full and orchestral. Sometimes she'll use dance language, just like unison and trajectory. And yeah. um, those are things that I really like latch onto, which yeah. you might have heard in Partita. <laughs> mm -hmm. It's all like a dance piece, really. I just mm. kind of wrote, I'm not a choreographer. So for Partita, I really just kind of wrote 
I, I choreographed a piece that just happened to be music. I think when I when I was writing the movements of Partita, I can't say when I was writing Partita because it didn't really exist as a full piece until I kind of got to the end of it mm. and realized kind of how I wanted to tie things off. Um, at that time, I was playing for a lot of dance classes in New York, like ballet and modern dance, and watching them move and watching them make you know, certain choices and loving that so much and wanting to kind of design, I don't know, music that feels like dance or feels like movement or you, you have a sense of foreground and background mm -hmm. and a sense of when, you know, suddenly all the dancers are in one spot and they move forward or they scatter. This, those kinds of balance and design decisions. It already makes me think of the second movement, the beginning. That's the first music, oh, yeah. actual music that comes to mind that, that mm -hmm. I can now connect to dance. And then when this um, da 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 da, if this comes in, that gives you a, a, a sense of architecture because there's something behind. There's something about the um, way that was recorded and the amount of reverb maybe that's on that part. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of reverb on the guy's voices, so it has a sense of space. But it, it is something where that melodic line kind of sits in a very different place than the rest of the movement. I mean, I love the whole piece. Uh, there's so many great moments, but there's this one moment where, like... Uh... Oh, yeah. yeah. It's my <laughs> absolute favorite moment. It always gets me. You know? It's amazing. I think that's one of my uh... favorites, too. That particular line and those words I wrote when I was home in North Carolina looking out at the water, the Albemarle Sound, which is a place where I had like grown up and I'd seen it from childhood. And it was this sense of being unable to reach back to the past and not knowing what happens in the future. And this sense mm. of being unable to like, like hold what you want to hold. Yeah. <laughs> it's very, it's a very ambiguous moment also harmonically. Certain notes take you, I mean, the G and the C, they take you totally out of the, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, maybe you can play, explain a couple of other stages of the process of, of writing this piece. You've already said that like you, you maybe wrote bits and parts here and there, and then it became a larger piece that is more connected. The first part of it that I wrote was actually the last movement, Pasakalia. Mm. Mm. And that only started in the first summer when Roomful of Teeth, the, the ensemble that I sing with and that sings the piece, we had just formed. We were just figuring out what, what we were. And, you know, I came in one day with this idea. I said, hey, guys, can you, I want to hear us go from this, like, uh, yeah, like, I, I got our little sound, like, with talking and texting, like, just this kind of feeling, and then snap up into a chord which is really that sort of last thing that you hear. But that was the beginning of the piece. Mm. <laughs> and then I, you know, had an idea of wanting to hear a certain chord progression, but with different vowel sounds. So you hear it in the o, a, a, at, really hearing those really stark colors. Then the next summer I wrote Courant, which mm. is like a third movement. And then I had this idea of wanting to still think about the artist Saul Lewitt, whose text you hear. Detail um, in the pattern. Mid oh, that's T.S. Eliot, Detail oh, in the Pattern is okay. different. But mm. the, um, from the midpoint of the left side, right. halfway between, yeah, all those sort of wall drawing directions are from Saul Lewitt. So I wrote Courant the next summer, thinking about how he's sort of, his paintings are very, you know, sometimes very geometrical. And if you feel like he's sort of weaving with textiles, it's almost like a textile artist. 
So I wanted this sense of like weaving and rhythm and pattern. Then the third summer, I knew what I wanted to do. There was some echo of Pasacalia that I wanted to make, which is Alamand, which starts actually with just with text, yeah, mixed with square dance calls. So it has the dance, but also this idea of words and directions and something very technical becoming the opposite of that. So with music, we write you know lines and dots and these instructions that become music, which is so wild and sounds True, nothing yeah. like what it looks like. And Saul Lewitt was doing this with painting and, and square dancers do this with calls where you the thing you say is nothing like the thing that it creates which is the swirling mass of people yeah <laughs> uh, right now when you talked about the textile connection isn't there another piece of yours where there's a woman talking uh oh yeah um, uh, yeah a piece called really really craft where um there are these interviews with women from North Carolina and Virginia in the 1970s who are quilters. And so these women have been quilting their whole lives and they're talking about how they make what they make and they're mm. talking about patterns. Yeah. So it's like the continuation. I'm obsessed with that phrase, the detail of the pattern is movement, but also with this idea of what do you notice? Do you see the pattern? Is there a pattern? Mm -hmm. Does there need to be a pattern? And at one point there's one woman who says, I don't need no pattern. I never start with the pattern. I don't, I don't, I don't. Yeah. I just make it up as I go along, which is kind of how writing music is sometimes. <laughs> What do you think it means, the detail of the pattern is movement? What do you think it means, Papa? <laughs> I don't know. It's, I thought about it, but I didn't really come to a conclusion. Because to me, like, a pattern is movement. And the detail, what's the mm. detail of the pattern? Because I somehow... I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I'm curious what you think. Um, I, I don't know either, and that's why I love it. <laughs> But it's something that it feels like just the act of thinking about the phrase sort of does the thing that the phrase is. It's like I go into the circular place of which is the detail, which is the movement, which is the pattern. Right. And it, it's something that I find kind of encourages one to look closer at something or to listen more closely there is something there there's is there a, is there movement is there is there some pattern in there that i haven't noticed you also don't have to arrive at something it's just a no you don't yeah it could be a, sort of a sort of a blissful mantra that mm -hmm. that yeah i've also like the pattern of the detail is movement and switching the words around it's really yeah. <laughs> i've never done that in performance but yeah Do you sometimes change stuff in the performance? I think a lot of things by this point are fairly set in terms of tempo. We've gotten faster over the years. And then certain times, if the atmosphere feels right, we'll, you know, like any music, you just hold or stretch or sure. build things slightly differently, slight different colorations. But with the speaking, everyone's a little bit different. Some people in the group always say the exact same words that they've been speaking for the last five years. They never change it. I have a friend who says, yeah, I just make things up all the time. Sometimes I talk about my husband. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I think that's really great. The effect is quite similar and maybe is even more interesting. But that's the only place where it's really improvisatory. Hmm. And it's not really supposed to be, but we've let it go. But there are some things in the, in the piece that are 
notated with a free rhythm chant, plain chant notation. But now it's, the rhythm is almost so ingrained in our bodies, it never changes. But mm. the idea is that there is freedom there. It's not a set. Like the exact the part you were talking about um, before, toward you, mm. is the rhythm is not set, but we've found over time that we've sort of established this certain pattern. You've just mentioned notation. I'm really curious about that because on your Instagram account, you sometimes share a little bit of your notated oh, yeah. uh, stuff and it looks really really interesting i also like my friend he told me like he, there's moments where he, like how do you notate this especially in the beginning where where the speech which is very yeah. rhythmical becomes even more articulate pitches and then moves in and out out of these two mediums in a way um, oh, yeah. how did you find solutions to write that down oh um You know, I think people are often surprised at how some parts of the score are quite traditional looking. The rhythmic speaking was very easy. It's just percussion, really. And then I really like when things go between spoken and pitched material. And that just take a little bit of trying out with the group and practice to see what, what the threshold is. How possible is it to kind of go back and forth as a singer between those two worlds? Some of the more detailed sort of nuanced colorings of certain sections maybe it's a buzzy quality or a really light airy quality i'll maybe just write a word in the score or originally we just i was in the same room so i would just say demonstrate say we could you try this and that's the best way mm -hmm. <laughs> notation is really horrible for that mm. and then we would just write down little reminders and then sometimes i would make up um a certain little style of note head that looked like what it felt. So the best example of that is the beginning of the second movement of Sarabam. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Rather than a normal note head, it's like a little, it just kind of like curves up. Yeah. <laughs> And it doesn't really say anything. It's not a standard notation. Yeah. No one would know what that means, but to me, it feels right. It was just fun to play with. I just it reminded me, I have a piece where uh, we land on a chord at the end Mm -hmm. And then me and the bassist, we kind of stick a couple of notes in that laying chord of the piano. Like, and this is how I wrote the, the notes, like the, oh, yeah. wrote them from the side. Uh, so, so that it actually looks like, like arrows coming from the side, you know. That's so you, great. You somehow, yeah. you sometimes then play, you, you play it differently as you would just put, you know, the, the notes like this, like the normal way. I think you really do play it differently. You think about it differently and you you are part of the music differently. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What's with those lines that kind of cross the whole page? What's what's that for? The score on my Instagram? Yeah. Oh, that is um we do not read from that score. That was purely <laughs> okay. an art project. <laughs> oh, okay, I see. I thought wow. Yeah, no one No, that would I'm so sorry. That would be really amazing. That's very George Crumb. Mm -hmm. Uh Yeah, like he would. His scores really do look like that. Mine, um, that was after the fact. But I, I like see. this idea of like what the music is doing is kind of just like falling apart, and then yeah. seems like the notes, notes become liquid or something. Like kind of they melt into the to the whole song. That's what I want to do with music. So I, cool. yeah, yeah. But it's not it's not very good for practically. <laughs> if you don't <laughs> sure, yeah. <laughs> but it's the feel the feeling of it is like something just melting and congealing and suddenly snapping into something else mm -hmm. yeah 
I figure you you do by, write by hand, though. I, I jot things down by hand, but a lot of it is Sibelius kind of straight into it. And I, I actually really like Sibelius because I'll change the size of the paper often. I try to use Sibelius as freely and as easily as I would with a large piece of paper, manuscript paper, but it's easier to do on the road and then I can make changes. Sure, so, sure. yeah. But how do you go about when you kind of invent your own notated things then? Oh, sometimes I'll, I'll use Adobe Illustrator. It's a cumbersome process, but but I when I really want to do something that has a more free-floating feel for percussion often, I'll use some things in Sibelius, you know, just the notes and lines, that normal stuff, export it and have a graphic and then be able to work with it in Adobe Illustrator. I love that so much, but yeah. it's, you know, I always say that it takes... 10 times longer to write freedom into the score. It's fairly easy and straightforward. It's not interesting to me to write something that tells you exactly what to do and you just do that. Um, but like you said, like to make the sticks, like the design of it sort of feel different, it takes a lot of time, but I think is really enjoyable to do as a yeah. person in the world. <laughs> yeah, and it really sticks out then if you, if you show it to your musicians. You know, if they read it, yeah. it sticks out from the other stuff that they read somewhere else, you know. Um, what, are you, what are you writing now? What I'm writing? Yeah. I just uh, finished recording a new album with my trio and a Brazilian guitarist. And uh, I, I wrote a couple of new songs for that. So I just finished my writing process. And I'm, right now I'm listening to takes of that mm. recording. Maybe something would come up if I, if I would, you know, go to the piano for that kind of purpose. But I really kind of... Uh, squeezed everything out of myself for that yeah. <laughs> record right now. So writing something is not on the top of my priorities right now. Yeah. But but I had a few yeah a few nice moments. Uh, you know, I'm sure you go through the same thing where you kind of you need to write something, and then of mm -hmm. course you're not inspired at all. So you sometimes then I take something old and try to find new stuff in it and and uh, um, kind of do kind of a rearrangement of an older piece and that mm -hmm. brings me to new ideas or it kind of gets my creativity going because yeah you work with something already oh. and for this uh, thing we we added this this great brazilian guitar player so i had to think about a few things that i want to do differently yeah it's interesting how the instrumentation can kind of change everything yeah absolutely but puts you in a very different mindset and the entire something entirely different comes out mm -hmm. i always feel like yeah, my pieces for different ensembles are like completely different people sometimes. Yeah. Mm. But listening to your stuff, it all seems very, very connected. And mm. all, everything seems to be, a lot of what I've heard is, is either with singing or with, you know, mm. string instruments, <laughs> which seems to oh, be yeah. a culmination of what <laughs> you're about in a way. Like you sing, but you also come from playing the violin and studying the violin and the classical uh, background but even when I when I listen to your string quartet stuff it there's a mm -hmm. vocal quality to to the melodies and to to the way mm -hmm. it's been played I'm curious about the the cutting uh, garden mm -hmm. because there's this Ravel quote in there and I'm sure there are other quotes in there too that I can't really make out yet but mm -hmm. uh, maybe you can talk Is to that me important? <laughs> 
it kept me thinking like yeah i noticed that from somewhere else maybe there's another quote in there but the ravel thing is the thing that came to to mind right away because it's i think it's the first the first yeah, motive the from first the yeah happens. what made you do that i have actually been playing i casually threw that in that in, in there but i've been playing with that loop of ravel for like almost a decade. Wow, yeah. <laughs> it's, no one knows this, but I, I used to play in a string quartet and we played the Rebel Quartet. I've, I've played it many times. And I had this recording at one point and I was just sort of looping it. And then I, before I understood what samples were, how to use them in computers, I wanted to, I was like, I want to put a bass drum on this. So I didn't know how to do it. And I mm. took the beginning of a Sharon Van Etten song. She's a singer mm. that had a very clean bass and I just sort of clipped it out in the audio. and. Anyway, it was just playing with this idea of, of looping it. Uh, maybe one day we'll make a whole piece out of it. But for that mm. particular movement, the cutting garden, it was about a specific part of this garden, Dumbarton Oaks, where you they grow flowers just for cutting. So they're isn't just... There, sorry, isn't there a Stravinsky piece? Yeah, oh, Dumbarton okay. Oaks. Yeah. <laughs> Must be an inspiring place, huh? Uh, yeah, they they um, commission a lot of things. <laughs> yeah, I see. Okay. Yeah. I see. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I I actually lived there for a, a year. They started a new musician in residence program, kind of inspired mm. by Stravinsky. So I was sort of their trial person, and um, I was walking through that garden constantly. And there are places that I walked around for like an hour before going back to, and starting to write music. So I have a kind of deep connection to different spots. But this one place is called the Cutting Garden. And it's where they grow the flowers to be cut, to be bring inside. So it's all about just what are thing, good things to like piece together and put together in a bouquet. And so I cut up a little bit of Ravel. There's a little Mozart. There are a couple of my quartets just because I had the music for them mm -hmm. ready to go. And a couple of other things I can't even remember. But I just, it felt fun to kind of splice together this weird little yes. bouquet of old music. <laughs> it becomes a new thing. What is other stuff that, that is inspiring you or, or, or maybe um, even music that you always go back to to be inspired or to like, if you feel uninspired, what do you go to? Uh, I have a, a top secret uh -oh. uh, Spotify playlist on my phone that is called Drugs. Drugs. <laughs> and yeah. it's drugs. It's just there. These are tra like songs or pieces of music that are my I don't do drugs, but those are my musical drugs. Sure. Um, Things that I always go back to, and I, I won't share all of them, but there's a lot of early music. I think there's actually, interestingly, Bach is not on there at all, but there are certain things that will make me kind of weep instantly, and among those are Bach chorales or certain hymns. Um, sometimes the sound of Monteverdi or like a really well voiced chord, whether it's strings or voices, but mostly it's certain chorales that I will something in me just falls apart yeah. and I, I know that I can count on that um, if I can't quite remember um, what I love about music there's certain yeah, things yeah, yeah. that I always do and then I you know if I'm writing something I'll, maybe I'll start from there and then the fun part of writing music is is actually making it fall apart and pulling it and like liquefying it you know yep. melting it um, and then the joy is putting it back together and trying to ma imagine what that would sound like or what that would feel like. Um, yeah. Mm. But a lot of early music. And then some Fiona Apple. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What are you, what are you, what are your um, go-to places? 
uh, Stravinsky's Mass is one. Oh, yeah. It's like, uh-huh. gets me every time. And I will be inspired after, after, after listening to it, you know. I've been listening to it for, for almost more than a decade. And um, I, even oh. did a, I even did a record where, where I uh, specifically, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a jazz musician, so we yeah. improvise and write our own pieces or sometimes play standards or whatever. But I, I did a record where we only played classical pieces, but I kind of rearranged them and uh, did my spin on them. And, and we played Agnus Dei from the Mass. And mm. uh, was it really song that yeah it's a song that's really dear to my heart and and Mm. that's that's mostly the first piece of music that i listen to when i feel uninspired yeah i think so yeah wow that's so i'm so excited to listen to it now yeah yeah i can sure i've heard it at some point but it's not something that i know um great i have a soft spot for children's choir music too like uh, i love the there's another mass by Fauré that i love Everybody always cites the Requiem, but there's also another mass by Fauré that I really love that is for children's choir also. That's an amazing piece. Mm. That's another one. Something about the voice, right, that really connects to our, yeah. like the most, the inner natural being of us. Like, just now I'm speaking, I'm speaking with my voice. And it's pitches. Yeah. And uh, I think we all, we as instrumentalists, we all try to get as close as possible I think yeah how does uh, singing or writing for voices inform your playing as a as a violin player it's always been something that I thought about as a violinist my mom was a singer so I Mm. remember early on in lessons you know teacher telling me to try and sound like her singing or and then I you know listened to a lot of recordings of favorite singers and I didn't sing very much growing up. I was pretty shy. So I, now I sing much more than I play. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but there's something about the, you know, the quality of the sound, the way you color something is really tied to the vowels. So you, whether you say, oh, ah, ah, like the edges of the sound are there. I mean, even though if, whether I'm playing modern music or Mozart, the way that you articulate the edges of the notes is so tied to speaking or it can be parlando of course is the term and then but the vibrato is everything it's how you right. where it opens up that's all of it mm. yeah. yeah i don't know i think that's why i enjoy the most writing for strings and for voices because i'm it's something that i know very well but it's also feels very yeah writing for voices is is so powerful yeah yeah do you um, where do you write actually do you write at the piano or do you write at sometimes only with pen and paper or i always start at some kind of keyboard instrument i'm on the road a lot so i write anywhere i actually don't write very well at home unless i really have to mm. <laughs> my desk is over there it's really messy um uh but i write you know on in hotel rooms and planes and between rehearsals. I find that actually really kind of inspiring for a certain part of the writing process. And I'll always start at the keyboard. Either I'll find a piano in a practice room and just record myself, or I travel with a MIDI keyboard and I'll record myself in logic. It's just kind of like a large voice memo. Just straight improvising and, and letting myself feel whatever I need to feel, letting it be completely 
not trying to construct anything, just wanting, just finding the harmonies that feel right. Because that to me is, as are the pillars, that's, that's how I feel music. And then once I found those and I found some of those ingredients, you know, the, then I go straight into Sibelius and start working with them mm -hmm. and cooking on the stove and moving them around and throwing them up and cutting them apart and putting them back. I'll start with harmony, but also a, a concept, maybe. Maybe mm -hmm. the concept is usually it has something to do with something visual or textural. Like, the, yeah. is it, does it melt apart? Does it congeal? What is this, what's the first sound? What's the first feeling? And then I have no idea how I get from there to the end. I forget it entirely. It's this crazy process to write yeah. music. Usually the last couple of days, I like, I just finished an orchestra piece a couple of weeks ago. And the last two days of it were like manic, crazy. I cannot remember what I did, but I basically wrote most of the piece in those two days. <laughs> <laughs> I had written it kind of up until that point, but it was terrible and boring. Mm. And then, um, and then did something. So I don't know. Well, that'll be performed in August. Maybe it'll be terrible. <laughs> <laughs> but you don't remember what exactly happened. What made you kind of yeah, turn it around? Yeah, you make certain decisions, kind of very intuitively but i i know what i need to do to engineer the thing that i want and i have to just let myself go to the different places and i work with sibelius really quickly if that's really important to me to to not get stuck behind something but to know how to realize the idea very quickly i feel i feel like a painter at a certain point you're just painting and coloring and and yeah but there's also a narrative to it too there's a feeling of um pacing and timing and form that's also a part of that mm. i'm not very methodical at least not at this point maybe later in life i'll become much more methodical but right now it's more about what does the music trying to let the music write itself i'm really drawn to stuff where sometimes you can't really make out how it's how it's made but you're a, you're a jazz musician so you you're improvising there's an when you i like to sort of create music that feels improvised and yet yeah. can be played by many people Yeah, it's true. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and I, you know when I think of Partita, it's some, there are moments like where there's you can't really predict what's coming next. So like, wow, how did we how did we get there? <laughs> uh, so naturally, I'm I'm drawn to stuff like that. But I don't care how yeah. it's done. You know, it can be written or it can be improvised. Whatever. I just saw yeah. a video of you playing or improvising with a sing uh, with a with a dancer, and you played little synth stuff and you sing oh yeah right for that i was using a um helicon voice live as the vocoder box and i was playing different harmonies but using also the edges of the voice and all the cracks in it and to you to feed that into the harmonies and just play with it it was really an improvisation but we're going to work more on that piece or on stuff together in the next couple of years but yeah. i use that same kind of setup with um i toured with kanye west back in 2016 on the Pablo tour and I was um, using that same setup basically to right he did a tour about me right that that was his concert. yes he did yeah. <laughs> the of Pablo course. tour yeah. sure <laughs> why not let him do his let him do his thing you know and use my name Saint Pablo actually yes there you are sure yeah sure <laughs> I, I like playing with that because it feels sort of I can do some of the things that I like to do with Roomful of Teeth where you'd have mm -hmm. many people doing the same vowel and the same crunch and you 
break it apart and put it back together, but I can do that with one instrument and it's, it's just fun. Yeah, yeah. yeah. sounded very yeah. nice and also looked great what, what you did with it. And you guys uh, obviously have a nice chemistry together. Yeah, I think so too. We were actually put together just because we sort of looked similar. <laughs> and he thought, oh, that would be interesting. <laughs> But we really hit it off and she's a, uh, her name is Vanessa Goodman. She's a really wonderful dance artist and someone I find really inspiring. I can work in a different way from, you know, writing an orchestra piece or writing something else. So sure, yeah. What's the, the rehearsal process like with uh, Roomful of Teeth? What's the process like if you, if you work on a new piece? We spend a couple of weeks together every summer. That's where we try to develop new work. And often we invite composers to come in and listen to our rehearsals and listen to us work. And then they bring in music that we can kind of workshop. In my case, I was in the group. So I just sort of brought little bits every day to try out to say, like, would this work? And if the sort of gesture or whatever the, the concept needed to be tweaked, we could find some version of it that would work. And then I'd go home and make it into you know, put it in the music and make the make the the form of the music. But it's different with every composer. I mean, some people like to work very separately and then bring it bring it in. Yeah. Hmm. I'm sure you're also studying a lot of music on the on the side uh, um, as inspiration uh, also for you know getting further. What kind of music are you are you checking out in the moment? Like also actually taking yeah. apart maybe with the score or what, however you study. You know. When I'm writing music, I don't, I can't listen to anything. It's just too much in my head. But then I'll go through deep dives of consuming some, like trying to figure, listen to as much as possible. Mm. Um, I know you interviewed Gabe Kahane. Yeah. Um, I really like his music a lot. Yeah. There's so much detail and thought and beauty in it. And he's someone that I trust and I really en enjoy digging into his music. Also, we sung together. I think I, I would love to sing more with him. Mm -hmm. And then a lot of, actually a lot of pop music. I grew up with basically only classical music yep. until I was in my 20s. And now I'm just like fascinated by, I don't know, what, what do I love about this? What is so exciting about it? Maybe it's something in the production or the singing or the songwriting, the craft of it. So um, lately it's been a lot of ABBA and Kendrick Lamar. Right. <laughs> There we go. <laughs> But it sort of changes. I've been reading a lot of poetry. That's been mostly what, what I've been into. Mm. Yeah how people deal with words. That's a very big concept. I've mm. been reading a lot of poetry. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Nice. I'm, okay. I'm super happy you, you could do it. And, oh, um, thank you. Thrilled. Thanks for talking. Yeah, it was great to Thanks talk to you. Thanks for doing you too. Thanks for doing all of these interviews. I've been, I've, I've been holding off on watching them because I knew I had to do this one, but now that I'm free. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now that I've done it, I can, I can go and watch. I want to watch games a lot. Yeah. Okay. Um, so great to talk with you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you.